Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds of his chariot, he makes his clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but as you rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it comes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea vast, there is the sea vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There are the ships that go to and fro, and live Leviathan, <laughs> which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you. You give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. When you renew the face of the ground, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his words, works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed for the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Blessed be the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. All right, so I'm going to do a very short uh, benediction, and then Greg is going to share. Um, as I thought about this this morning, or not prior to this morning, <clears throat> um, a benediction is a blessing, and I'm going to read a Hebrew blessing, uh, and this is one that they share that they 
recite whenever they haven't seen each other in a while and they all get together and sit down at a table together. And I just thought, I know we see each other more frequently, but it's been a little while since we had a meal together like this. Um, <clears throat> so it is, blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this season. And that really speaks to me because it reminds me of how this is a blessing. This is a blessing. We bless God because many people don't have this opportunity to sit around tables together to reflect on what Christ has done, to share in him, and to share in one another. And so I just want to, that's my simple encouragement, is that we recognize what a blessing this actually is this morning, and that you all are such a huge blessing to me, and we're such a huge blessing to one another. Morning. Got it. Okay. Wasn't sure I was going to get that propped up there. My, it, is this loud enough? Okay. Okay. Good. Well, uh, we got slides, Kyle. Sweet. Okay. I love this so much, guys. I really do. I have um, one of the one of the things that I miss the most about uh, our church family in Peru is that uh, we shared communion as part of a meal every single Sunday. It was usually breakfast, um, but it was always it was always time together as a family, and um, and it 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 infuses the moment that we share that is bread and wine with more of the meaning that I believe it's supposed to have, our togetherness, our shared life, our communion. And, um, and we all know every single one of us is a member of a family. We've been a member of a family our entire life. And we know that the rhythm, the ebb and flow of a family is meals. Every day, multiple times a day, we're, we're cooking together and eating together or shopping together and eating together. And, uh, and so this is just really special. And I hope that for, for, for many of you, it is special or will become special. Uh, I, would, I would love to see us do this on a more regular basis. I know everybody's in favor of potlucks on a more regular basis. So uh, if, we can just, if we can just hold together our practice of communion and our practice of eating together uh, in the way that many of the early Christians did, then uh, I think we'll be blessed by it. This morning, I want to highlight the table of grace to which we come. The table that is Jesus's. But the interesting thing is, frequently, Jesus would take over other people's tables. He would come into a place that was in the bad habit of having a table in an unwelcoming way, in an ungracious way. And he would turn it into a table of grace. And I don't know exactly how to characterize our table at Stones River, and I want to use that metaphor our table at Stones River. I don't know exactly how to, I'm not up here this morning to criticize it, 
I'm not up here to say that it's one way or another or has been at one time or will be at another time. I'm saying we have a table here that's ours. And I want to imagine what it means for Jesus to sit at our table this morning. What happens? Who gets included? Who gets rebuked? What do we learn? And most of all, how do we embrace the grace that comes with him everywhere that he shows up? I want to start with, um, this is going to be really short this morning, but I do want to show you about a six-minute clip of uh, the second episode of The Chosen. How many of you have watched The Chosen? Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad a number of you haven't. So this isn't going to ruin anything, um, but you're going to get a glimpse of how spectacular this this show is. Um, I'm not, we haven't, we're not even all the way through it in my family, but I've just, I was just so kind of surprised. I'm pretty cynical about uh, Hollywood productions of, of Jesus, uh, and this, this just gripped me. So here's the, here's the backstory before, you, before Kyle hits play. Um, the, the story really starts with Mary of Magdala, right? And she's a demon-possessed woman. She's a woman tormented by something that has a hold of her. And she cannot get free of it. And the, the, the religious authorities among the Jews who even attempt an exorcism can't, can't liberate. They, can't, they, don't, they cannot set her free. And then Jesus shows up. And she is set free and she's transformed and so then the very next thing that you see is her getting ready to host the Sabbath meal. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I actually, I've studied, you know, a lot about such things. And I've actually never really thought about um, how the Sabbath itself, a weekly occurrence, wasn't just going to synagogue, right? It wasn't just going and doing the prayers and the readings. It was also a communal meal. And so someone would host and members of usually your synagogue communities, an average of like 10 families in a synagogue, um, would gather together, right? Not unlike this, a little smaller probably at times. Um, But Mary is now hosting for the first time in her life the Sabbath meal. And she's kind of nervous and she's trying to do it right. And of course, who does she know? Well, she knows some other people that aren't usually welcome at a Sabbath table. Some other people that have been living in her marginal area of life in this Jewish community. So there you have it. Mary is going to host this meal. Um, let's pay attention.
don't want to give away too much more of the plot, you know. Um, I mean, I just, I find that so touching. Um, now imagine what it is for Jesus to show up at our table. Let me grab my scripture here. You can read along on the back of your order if you'd like. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster, standing behind him at his feet and crying. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender gave the debts, uh, forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that... Uh, that her many sins have been forgiven, so that so she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, Who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, we don't know who this woman is in the history of the church. It has frequently been thought that this is the same Mary of Magdala, uh, who, who, was, who is described in just the next passage as having been uh, liberated from seven demons. Um, and and it, it may be the case that, that that's who this is, that the, the Mary who was set free out of gratitude uh, comes, here's where Jesus is, shows up in order to honor him and express her gratitude, and then discovers that there are more gifts yet to be given, namely forgiveness. And, uh, and it may not be the case. Either way, I love this story 
because Jesus takes over this table, this table that was not only actually fairly unwelcoming to him, he was invited, but he wasn't treated as a guest, but also was unwelcoming to Mary. She wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. She busted in because she had to be where Jesus was, even if the people hosting the party weren't huge fans of her. I want to describe uh, just four, um, four dimensions of this passage that I want you to contemplate and discuss this morning as we eat. Uh, first, the table of grace is a place for all. We start with this invitation, come freely, come freely, come where Jesus is, come whoever you are. Listen again to these words. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Now, we in our uh, devout Protestantism are taught from the cradle everyone's a sinner. Everyone uh, needs forgiveness. And so when we read these passages, we really don't get the gist of it unless we take a minute. Um, he doesn't mean I'm sinless and she has sin. He means I live a, I live a life of devotion and piety, and she does not. She doesn't make the effort. She doesn't host Sabbath. She doesn't do the things that she's supposed to do if you're serious about God. This is a woman who has not shown in her life, in her lifestyle, that she truly cares, right? Sometimes Jesus names uh, uh, prostitutes specifically, sometimes tax collectors specifically, sometimes just says sinners in general. But this is, this is a class of people who in all kinds of different ways, some ways that we would consider very taboo, right? Um, and in some ways that we would kind of think, well, I don't know how big a deal that is. But in all of these different ways, live a lifestyle that those who are devoted to God, those who show up every Sunday, if I can put it that way. Those who say their prayers and do their devotionals, right? Those people look at them and think, I mean, it's kind of pitiful. They don't really make the effort, you know? They're, they're, not, they're not serious. Their faith is weak. Their, their, their life is sinful, right? Not that we don't all sin, but that, I mean, let's be honest. There are people who take it real seriously, and there are people who don't. And for this Pharisee, as I suspect for many Christians, God forbid any in this room, but for many Christians, those are certainly distinctions that we draw. And we start to feel a little uncomfortable being around some people who just don't have it together who have some habits, who have some practices, who say things in a certain way. And we just think, well, okay, let, how quickly can we get out of this situation? 
Jesus knows exactly what kind of people we are, including the stuff that we wouldn't want to admit if we had a turn at the microphone this morning. And all are welcome at the table with him. All are welcome. Without exception, all are welcome. Come to the table this morning. Second, the the table provokes a response of love. And the invitation, the second invitation this morning is to celebrate as we eat. Celebrate as we, as we discuss the significance of Jesus' presence at our meal. He describes this woman's acts of devotion. Now, they're kind of peculiar. I mean, if you, if you really had somebody bawling on your feet and, and wiping your feet off with her hair in 2022, you'd probably be a little confused. It would be off-putting. Um, but let's just extend our imaginations for a moment, inhabit another cultural scenario where it's completely customary for someone walking around dusty roads in sandals to be offered a means of cleaning their feet whenever they enter a home, just as a sign of respect, you know, just like I'm, you're, 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 you're a person who cares about personal hygiene and here's the, here's the opportunity to be at table in a clean way, right? Remember, they are reclining. Was it David that said we should have been reclining? Uh, this one, so, so your feet are kind of right up next to somebody else as you're laying around the table. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a courteous thing to do and an incredibly disrespectful thing not to offer your guest the opportunity to do that. You make them, uh, you, you, make, you put them in a situation where they're unappealing to be with at table, right? And she comes in and she's premeditated this. She's brought a, a jar of perfumed oil. Who knows what she thought she was going to do with it, but it seems that very likely she showed up and saw this situation and thought, no. And, and, and in her emotional reaction to Jesus, uh, and, and part of the reason I really like that clip for this morning is because I'd never given much thought to what it would be like to see Jesus the second time after he set you free from demonic possession. To to have that transformation and then see him again the second time and just be breathless, just, just be overwhelmed. It's him. He's the one. This is the man who made liberation possible. And so she comes expecting to do something to honor him with this oil. You know, traditionally, oil is for the hair, the head, right? It's, it's a way of, of, again, sort of making yourself presentable and appealing when you've got to be around a bunch of other people in a society with no deodorant. And she sees his feet, his dirty feet, that this host has disregarded, and she comes and begins weeping and takes her own hair, she does, it's not her house, she doesn't have a towel, and, and trying to clean off his feet, just to show the respect that he's due. Maybe, maybe anointing his head is above my station, but at the very least I can clean his feet, right? 
kissing his, kissing his feet. Um, I, don't, I don't know what our reaction would be if there was a knock at that door right now and Jesus was standing there. Um, a variety of reactions, I would assume, right? But I, I think if we accept what the candle, the candle symbolizes, if we accept the confession of our faith, that Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is indeed present with us this morning, that our communion, our breaking of bread, and our drinking of wine isn't just a symbolic act, a reminder that something happened back when, but is indeed sharing in communion with Jesus and one another. We need to contemplate what is the reaction? What's the reaction? What's the response? How do we lavish Jesus with the respect and honor and gratitude and joy that he's due? And that's what our songs are about, and that's what our prayers are about, but that's also what our time together is about, the spirit of our celebration, being at this table with Jesus. He's present, so we kneel humbly also to celebrate his grace. And I invite you to pour out your gratitude this morning. Third, the table of grace sets forth a feast of forgiveness. Come and eat and drink that forgiveness. So he says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. There, there's no disregard for the sin here. There's no, there's no ignoring the sin. There's no, it's fine, whatever. No, this is forgiveness. This is saying, I know. I know how you've lived. I know the choices that you've made. I know the patterns that you've been stuck in. I know who you are. And your sins are forgiven. All of them. All the way down. And that's why she's, she's shown love. The one to whom little is forgiven loves little. But if we reckon this morning, if we, if we break this bread and drink this wine and share this meal and reckon honestly with our own sin and hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. Hear it again. Your sins are forgiven. There's nothing between us. I suppose that's a sweet flavor. It's a lovely taste. That's what we eat, and that's what we drink. Forgiveness, savor freedom from sin and death. And lastly, the table of grace is, a, is an occasion for the renewal of peace. And from the table we go in peace, trusting Jesus, and therefore experiencing peace. So he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The, the communion that we share every Sunday 
is as much about this moment as any other. Is as much about being sent again in peace. Sent back into life having been in the presence of Jesus. Having been given peace. The trust in Jesus that brings us to the table of grace saves us too this morning. We sing about salvation in Jesus a lot. We know this. Those of us who are baptized, we're baptized into this confession. But I just want to remind you, at this table, this table of grace, our trust in Jesus saves us. And here we receive peace, and from here we go in peace. The peace born of trust. So drink deeply this morning from the cup of peace. Drink deeply. Receive the peace that we need to sustain us as we go and make our lives in the world. So, four thoughts. Come freely. Celebrate. Eat and drink forgiveness and go in peace and trust. God's blessing on us this morning. Uh, now we're going to have a prayer for it. Where is it? Is it Ariel? I am. You were, you were hiding. Yeah. Ariel's going to uh, lead a prayer of blessing for our, of thanksgiving for our food. And then we'll, we'll, um, I'll let John keep emceeing here. After that, we'll eat. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that's really hot. Father, I want to thank you for this chance for all of us to gather together and think about what it means to eat together and to commune with you and as a family. I pray that we are able to open our hearts not just to you but to each other, to build better relationships in this moment, to look past those walls of shallow pleasantries we often use when dealing with one another so that we can create relationships that will help us work together for your kingdom. I want to thank you for everything that we can think of and those that we can't. In your name. Amen. All right. I just told Stephen, that's why they call me John McPeters, because I'm MC Peters. You know what I'm saying? He said I was MCing. I don't know. Trying to see if my wife's laughing. She isn't. Dang it. <clears throat> that, was a, that was the whole point. So I'm, I am just, I am here right now to give us just the practicalities of what we're going to be doing with the meals.